Let's see if that works. Um, so you've been talking about the disciplines for a few weeks now. Um, does somebody want to share what kind of has been your one thing you've learned um, about the disciplines while you've been here? You get extra credit if it was one of my classes. Just kidding. Anything that stumped out at you? Or has all this stuff been repeat? I really enjoyed uh, learning about justice. Oh. And uh, it was really cool to get a biblical sense of what justice means. Oh, nice. And which is like working with communities to, without the hindrance of, you know, evil is really what it is. Mm. And uh, how God allows us to partner with them in doing that in our day to day lives. And also, we have chances to go outside of our communities and do that also. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, one of the, <coughs> I had a real eye-opener. I worked for an organization for a year that was very social justice oriented, but without the faith base. And it really opened my eyes to the role of the church in social justice that, you know, not always, but there tends to be a lot of anger and um, that's almost what drives it without Christ. So it's um, uh, wonderful when the church takes that on. So good. What else uh, rose up for you during this time? So I just know the two that I did and spiritual direction. Um, well, one thing, well, let me start with this story first. <coughs> one thing that I have been blessed with is all my life I've had um, an awareness of God's presence. And the times I've been distanced from God are times I intentionally moved away from God. But especially as a, a kid, I really felt just that God was with me all the time. And really believed, as is true, that God is real. And so an example, when I was probably seven or eight, we lived in Saskatchewan. I'm a Canadian. And if you know anything about Saskatchewan, it's right above Montana and North Dakota very flat and bitterly cold in the winter but as kids you know we didn't I didn't know it was bitterly cold we played out all day every day in the snow built forts skated skied you know even when I was little this is always a good shock effect um, the, the mothers would bundle up their babies and have them take their naps outside in the winter. You know, we just had this little peephole 
because the belief was that cold air would make us strong. So I guess I'm I'm still here, so <laughs> must have worked. But when I so when I was about six or seven, we lived in Regina at the time, and we had a house with a separate garage, and we had a station wagon. If you remember what that is, and it was one with a roll-up back window, and um, I was out there playing in the garage by myself, which is unusual because I four siblings at the time, but I decided I needed to roll down the back window on the station wagon, and it was locked, and so I don't know why it was so important that I opened that window, but I was pushing with all my might to get it to turn, and all of a sudden, the window shattered, <laughs> and I guess it was a cold, I don't know, it certainly wasn't my strength. But I shot out of there and went in the house and went upstairs and didn't say anything <laughs> for about three days. And I heard my parents talking about, no, man, it must be really cold to shatter the window like that. <laughs> and finally, and this is where that image of God or awareness of God comes in. I knew if I didn't tell mom and dad, God was going to. <laughs> so I decided I better beat God to it. <laughs> so I confessed. Um, but we, we tend to have, as kids, that understanding or that belief that God is real. And that has a lot to do our belief in that and our image of God has a lot to do in these spiritual disciplines, right? Because if I don't have a healthy image of God, why am I going to take the energy or the time or the effort to do these practices that help me draw closer to God, right? So I want us to start with that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about community as a as part of our spiritual discipline. So, disciplines. Um, so I want you to think about a time when you were a little kid or one of your earliest memories of God. And I want, you know, just first blush, what pops into your mind, then turn and tell the person next to you what that image is or what that memory is. Like, let me give you an example. For me, I remember we moved to Montana when I was 10, and we did a lot of hiking, and I remember laying on this mountain meadow, um, you know, the family was spread out in the meadow, and just looking up, and it was just breathtaking, and thinking, God is with me, and that's a very strong memory of the graciousness of God and giving all that beauty to us. So could be something like that. It could be a, a picture you see in one of So um, turn to someone next to you and share what that memory is. Whatever, an uh, early memory. Doesn't matter. I 
one more. So my first real memory of God was, I grew up Jehovah's Witness, and so we did spend a lot of time in Revelation, talking about things in Revelation. So my first real memory of God was Jesus coming on a white horse, and just the fire, and the just the enormity of God, and just his the vision I had of him, and that scary, you know, yeah, thing like yeah. that. So my first image of God was, whoa, this dude is crazy. Uh, <laughs> and when he comes back, it's gonna be a lot to probably have a lot to pay for. So that's kind of my first image of him yeah, was the yeah. revelation of God and Jesus and the white horse and the trumpet sounding, and it was kind of cool but also scary at the same yeah, time. Yeah. So. How many of yours was connected with um, the church building? Greg and I were talking about church building. How about with your something your parents were doing? They did. Okay. How many of you had a negative experience or kind of scary like that? Couple. So the rest of you are positive. How many were positive? Or were some neutral maybe? Neutral. Okay. Um, so we all, obviously, we don't have that same image, right, that we had as children. It evolves and changes and hopefully becomes more healthy if we're in the right context. Um, I had to overcome being afraid of God. You know, I was taught, you get out of line, God knows. And so my part of my perception of God was that Everything I did wrong, God was writing in the book and would count at the end of times. So I remember as a teenager praying, forgive me for the sins I don't know I committed, just to cover all the bases. If I died that night, I wanted to make it in. Yeah, and that's a, that's a sad image of God, <coughs> a loving God, who, um, and that being the primary characteristics of, of God. So um, as we think about the disciplines, you know, why would we enter into the work of God in social justice if this God is out to get us? You know, why would we want to spend time with God? Why would we um, want to yeah, pray with God? Why would we want to learn more about God if it's all about God being out to get us? So sometimes it takes healing this image of God. And there's a, a really nice, um, were you in, in exposed to imaging prayer during this time at all? There's a really wonderful way to heal your image of God um, through an imaging prayer. And that's where you enter into an um, event in scripture and spend time with Jesus there in the event. And and so the, and I was taught this um, as I was healing my image, but the, the event where Jesus was with the children, and Jesus is saying, let the children come to me. You know, Jesus wanted to be with the children. Jesus laid his hands on him. So having that as the last image when we go to sleep, of uh, being with Jesus and Jesus saying, come to me. And if we picture ourselves as a child, um, 
it often, the psychological piece to that is, is it often is us, when we started to have kind of a negative impression of God, and so that kind of heals us and our way of thinking about God. And of course, we need to learn good things about God, too. But it also speaks to, um, you know, that sharing a minute ago, as you were sharing with a person next to you, or as you found someone else who um, you hadn't known and met them and shared about them. Community plays a real important role in our spiritual formation. God didn't make us to be in isolation. Although our personal relationship with God is vital. You know, no one else stands before God for us. Um, we stand before God. And we have a relationship with God. Someone else doesn't have that relationship for me. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about having that. He says you can't have um, well, both ways. It's dangerous to have an isolated relationship with God <coughs> because we need the community. God made us to be in relationship. God is a triune God and so requires that relationship. That's what the church is about. But also, we can't just be in community and not have that individual relationship with God. So it's kind of a two-way street. But something happens like just a minute ago, when you share something from the heart, something about your spiritual journey with someone, it opens it up. It makes it more real. They say narrative is revelatory. When we tell our story, it becomes broader. And so the role, the discipline of being committed and attentive to our community is really important. And so, of course, there's positive things. We share in the joy of each other. We offer, we talked about discernment last time I was here. We can discern for each other and help each other discern. Um, again, we share in the joys and the sorrows of each other. And it's also important, that commitment piece, that we are committed to the body and being Christ's instrument in the world. So, as we come together as a body, we don't come together just with a guest mentality that people need to feed me, people need to take care of me, but we also come with a host mentality that how can I seek out people that I can bless today? How can I find someone to encourage? Where are some people who are marginalized who I can reach out to? And it's sometimes hard well, it's hard anywhere, but it's hard in a large body because I don't know who's a member and who's a visitor. And so it's being willing to stick my neck out and maybe be embarrassed that this person has been worshiping here for 30 years and saying, hi, I don't know you. Um, how are you today? Or um, children. I mean, it's a wonderful place for children to encourage children. We might remember as a child having some adults in our life that cared about us, that um, reached out to us, or even smiled at us at church. There's a, let me just throw in a, a nerdy psychological thing here. There's a, 
There's a lot of um, neuropsychology out there these days. I'm a therapist. And um, one of the studies, they took adolescents who were, um, some were delinquent, and they compared those with non-delinquent adolescents and found that there was a surge of endorphins when there was a positive interaction with an adult. And that could be just a two-second interaction, or it could be a longer one, of course. And so these two groups of kids, when they were exposed to other endorphin-inducing activities like drugs or different um, behaviors, those who had more positive interaction with adults were less likely to become addicted because they had this other um, opportunity that had the endorphins. Does that make sense? So even just smiling at a child and saying, hey, that's a pretty dress today, or um, just something where you're engaging with the kids that are running past you in church can have a positive effect on So church is one of the few places that we still have that intergenerational piece. You know, so much of our um, culture is kind of leveled into those, the strata of age. So taking the time to get to know some kids is a wonderful opportunity at church. And then another piece is welcoming the stranger. And that means I am willing to reach out to people who don't look exactly like I do who maybe aren't the same color as me or aren't in the same socioeconomic strata as me and not just say hi, but really welcome them into my circle. And that's an opportunity we have at church also, that we can have these different interactions with people that we might not have on the job or out in our regular life, but really being able to say, come into my circle. Um, not just that, um, how are you today? Fine, thank you, good. Um, there was a skit that used to make fun of how we do that at church, or we just say, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? And go on to the next person. But really reaching out to them, and um, again, having that host mentality where I'm looking, I come to church and I'm looking for people to bless and welcome. Um, so that's another piece of it. And um, another, oh, look, we have it from last week. Another is um, the concept of forgiveness. choice, or maybe the spirit 
prompts something in us, we need to let go of that anger. And so then we start to move in the right direction, then boom, maybe I see them again or have another negative encounter or see the person I love who was hurt by them. And then I have to make another choice to forgive. And then I move in that right direction again, and then boom, I go way down. And sometimes I have to cry to God, God, I can't. I have nothing in me that wants to love this person. And sometimes I just have to let God do it for me. And then I move a little bit. And so it's more a series of these choices until I realize, you know, I haven't even thought negatively about that person. Or when I think about that person, I don't have that angst that I used to have. But my role into it is with God making that choice over and over again. And sometimes it looks like minute by minute, sometimes day by day. But it's not about what they do. You know, when Jesus says that, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who ask forgiveness, Etc. Etc. It's just forgive and let go of that. So that's also real important that we have an opportunity and can be part of our discipline in the church to let go of those slights, those intentional mean things that people do to us. And that again, again, um, it is based on our identity being grounded in God and not in people. So if I know and I'm living out of a place that God loves me and I want to be part of what God is doing in this world, then when people are crazy, and we're people so we're crazy too, we can just let go of it. We can let it roll off us and move on in doing what God has called us to do in this world. So that's another real important piece but we all hear and we all say at times you know as soon as they <coughs> change or if they ask forgiveness then well sure I'll forgive them but I'm not and we support each other um, so that's another piece of this important part of community. So I want to close us with a uh, meditation. And this is a, it's called a hand meditation. So we're going to do some things with our hands, but it's uh, about community. So, as we begin, I want you to get comfortable, put everything down, if you can, close your eyes, if you need a short nap, we'll let you...
close your eyes and be aware of your breathing. Tune in to the sensation of your whole body breathing. Let your breathing relax you. Check the tension points. Press your eyes tightly for a few seconds and release. And this frees your forehead of its intensity. Let your head tip forward in slow motion and the tense muscles of your neck will relax. Let your jaw loose and let it take a gentle yawn. Begin to experience your whole body smiling. Feel how good it is to be here now and have nothing to do but be. Be aware of the mystery of your own breath. The Hebrews thought of their breath as the breath of God. It did not belong to them. It was his. His presence in them made them alive. When God took back his breath, death returned their body to earth. Be conscious that you breathe in the spirit so that you send forth the word. Become aware of the air at your fingertips, between your fingers, on the palm of your hand. Experience the fullness, strength, and maturity of your hands. Think of your hands. Think of the most unforgettable hands you have known. The hands of your father, your mother, your grandparents. Remember the oldest hands that have rested in your hands. Think of the hands of a newborn child, of the incredible beauty, perfection, delicacy in the hands of a child. Once upon a time, your hands were the same size. Throughout your life, much that you have learned has been through your hands. Turning yourself over, crawling and creeping, walking and balancing yourself, learning to hold your something for the first time, feeding yourself, washing and bathing, dressing yourself. At one time your greatest accomplishment was tying your own shoes. Think of all of the learning your hands have done and how many activities they have mastered, the things they have made. Remember the day you could write your own name. Our hands are not just for ourselves, but also for others. How often they have helped another. Remember all the kinds of work they have done. The tiredness and aching they have known. The cold and the heat. The soreness and the bruises. Remember the tears they have wiped away our own or another's. The blood they have bled, the healing they have experienced. How much hurt, anger, and even violence they have expressed. And how much gentleness, tenderness, and love they have given. Often they have been folded in prayer, both as a sign of their powerlessness and as a sign of their power. 
Our father and mother guided these hands in great symbolic language. The striking of our breasts, the handshake, the wave of the hand in hello and goodbye. <coughs> Mystery lies in the hand of the woman or the man that we love. God works through the hands of the doctor, the nurse, an artist, a conductor, a counselor, a minister, hands which you will never forget. Now slowly raise your hand and gently place it over your heart. Press more firmly until your hand picks up the beat of your heart. That most mysterious of all human sounds, one's own heartbeat, a, a rhythm learned in the womb from the heartbeat of one's mother. Press more firmly for a moment, then release your hand and hold it just a fraction from your clothing. Experience the warmth between your hand and your heart. Now lower your hand to your lap very carefully as if it were carrying your heart, for it does. When you extend your hand to another, it is not just bone and skin, it is your heart. The handshake is the real heart transplant. Think of all the hands that have left their imprint on you. Fingerprints and handprints are heartprints. The hand has its own memory. Think of all the places that carry your handprints and all the people who bear your heartprints. They are indelible and will last forever. Now without opening your eyes, extend your hands on either side and find another hand. Greet these hands with a gentle squeeze and then bring your hands back to, again to your lap. Experience the presence of that hand lingering upon your hands. The afterglow will fade, but the print is there forever. Whose hand was that? It could have been any hand. It could have been his hand. It was. The incarnational disciples of Jesus are his hands in the world. Amen. Yes. Um, I don't know how many are aware and I'm new here, so uh, I'm just bothering speaking out. Um, I'd like for you to close in prayer. Our president has proclaimed this the National Day of Prayer. In, in my adult memory, at least, I don't remember that ever happening. And I have so many people in this country in distress, and no matter what your politics are, you've got to be proud of him for doing that. Okay, let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your mercy, and we are mindful today of many people in distress, particularly those in Houston and the surrounding areas, Louisiana. All over the country, all over the world, God. So we lift up those to you, you know the needs. And God, I ask your gracious peace on 
all the people. And God, I thank you for the offering of this class, different ways to be with you and focus on you. And God, you know what each of us need and what has um, touched each person as they've been here. So God, we just ask that it goes deeper than just a cognitive exercise to some ways we can attend more fully to you. And we ask these things in your son's name.